When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Two weeks late. Let's talk about Joe Rogan. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> We're cutting edge news here. Uh, so, yeah, we, we had a different podcast on while it was going down. People have already said what needs to be said. In most cases, Sam Harris has a really, really good take, I think, on the use of the N-word language. Uh, and one quote that I thought was excellent from his short podcast is, there is simply no question that American hysteria around use of the N-word is pathological and dishonest and destructive of people's integrity and an offense to basic sanity. At this point, you've probably heard, but basically what he's saying is that the idea that uh, a mere utterance of a sound stripped of any context or intent, uh, in fact, in the context of discussing what that sound, how it impacts people, to to take deep offense and freak out about that is pathological. And I I agree, and I won't talk too much more about that but the thing that i haven't heard people talking about which i know that you did see was the original video Mm -hmm. that came up by india ari where she discusses her reasons for not uh taking her music off of the platform after i don't know if she compiled this clip of him saying the n-word or found this clip but she was i guess the one that popularized it Mm -hmm. that's right uh and we we both saw the same thing in it which is interesting yeah her quote is (laughs) Uh, you know, I, as a musician, get paid 0.0003 cents per download, and then they take the money they make off of my work, and they pay Joe Rogan $100 million, to which I would say they're using $100 million to pay Joe Rogan because they're using his future money yeah. to pay Joe Rogan. This isn't some weird case where Spotify has decided that Joe Rogan is a charitable cause that requires their funding. And so they're going to their <laughs> they musicians like white people to so much that like, <laughs> no, he's the biggest podcaster in the world. They think that he's going to bring them more value. And I think when they announced the signing, their stock immediately went up by more than that. Mm-hmm. So the market initially agreed. Um, their stock has been getting hammered for a long time for a number of reasons. But I just thought that was such an interesting way to frame that. It's like, here's what I get paid per view. Here's what Joe Rogan made in total. Yeah. I'm not going to mention what that is per view for him. Well, you, you, you're hiding the point that, that stuck out like a sore thumb to me, which is the lack of a per. Like, he's getting $100 million, I'm getting a fraction of a cent. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's getting $100 million over several years yes. for probably hundreds, if not thou- thousands of hours of content, which you do not have. For far more viewers and for exclusivity. Yeah, future looking and <laughs> his entire library. So it's and like his, if you do if you look at this over the life of his contract, and then you go, how much did that hundred million, how many views did he generate? He is probably making a very similar rate to you. And he can't be on Apple Podcasts, which you can, and he can't be on YouTube, which you can. Yeah. And he he is stuck here. So like he accepted a fixed rate 
in order to bring people to this platform. Yeah, the most the interesting, I mean, not the most interesting, the uninteresting thing that you just see all the time is people start with a conclusion, which is <laughs> Joe Rogan's bad. And then they go look for anything that they can use to support that. Instead of just sticking with an original argument, which is he said the N-word 12 times and I as a black artist don't want to be on a platform with him, mm-hmm. which well, there's holes in that argument. Her, her argument was very economic. And it sounds like she's been, under, perhaps understandably, I don't know, upset with the economics of Spotify for a while. Now, you can say justified, not justified. I don't know. She feels that they've been underpaid by Spotify. And she specifically talks about the historic legacy of black artists being underpaid. I'm under the impression that Do they get a different rate by Spotify. I'm under the impression that they don't have racial categories for how they pay algorithm. I have well, that would be, to be this. fair, that would, <laughs> that be, would hugely, be racist. That would be hugely damning. <laughs> if it be- comes out that Spotify pays their white artists five cents a listen and their black artists three cents a listen. Well, you, even that is is not telling enough because I think they have different rates for different numbers yeah, of, of downloads. So you'd have to, and, and the answer is no fucking way in hell when you, when you, uh, account for all of those factors how many what what tranche are they in it's uh, also possible they pay podcasters and musicians different rates because podcasters are, are multi-hour format and musicians week, yeah. are you know three minute format so mm-hmm. you, you could have not race based differences in pay but category differences yeah. in pay true crime might make the most yes uh so and, and then, of course, the other question is they're asking which of these two people is more likely to bring and re- maintain new listeners. And I think that's that's obvious is that it's Joe Rogan and his style of content is a thing that people will change their daily habits for. Right. You might listen to a musician's art yeah. on Spotify, but if they weren't there, you're probably still going to use Spotify. Or if you don't use Spotify, you're not going to join when you find out that one musician's music is suddenly unless on. it was like the Beatles or something like that, or Justin Bieber, sure. or you know, and and then then they're going to move some. There's yeah, versus Sirius XM. I think people legitimately just pay for Sirius XM mm-hmm. for Howard Stern, and I, were Howard Stern to stop being on Sirius XM, people would leave Sirius XM. So well, that, I don't know if that's the case, but I know that I remember many years ago when they came out with it. My dad was a guy who was in the car all the time, and that was certainly his his thought process. Yeah, was, so that's Spotify's hope with Joe yeah. Rogan is that people. I, I mean. You, you don't want to, it's all anecdotal in the comments, but there are people who are saying, I, I joined Spotify for Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. I think it did in some way bring them new clients yeah. in a way that not every person that has content on Spotify is going to have that ability to bring new people just because of them. Yes. So that was, that was the piece I haven't heard other people talk about. And it's entirely possible. I sound like Joe Rogan now. <laughs> it's entirely possible with, within what we're saying that Artists could also be getting a bad deal on Spotify or even stripping bad out a deal that she's not happy with. And a boycott might be an effective way for her to raise her rates and other people's rates in terms of what they're getting from the streaming platform. I don't know. Uh, But the thing that I found like bothersome was the complete (laughs) he's making 100 million. I'm making fractions of a cent without any reference to what they were getting paid for, Mm -hmm. which seemed... uh, I don't. I obviously she can't think that clearly, but the fact that her argument, the that the argument was coming out in that form, I think was indicative of the lack of clarity around the issue. Um, and it's unfortunate that arguments which lack philosophical rigor are the ones that are being elevated to the top of the discussion mm-hmm. and dominating how people make decisions. Well, I think and then the- sorry, there was one there was one update I believe which Spotify now has like a black artist fund, which uh, is racist. <laughs> that is that is a special 
thing. It's, you know, it doesn't matter if you came from the richest neighborhood in America and you're black. It doesn't matter if you came from the poorest neighborhood and have, you know, you're an orphan and you're white. The only thing that will allow you to enter or not be part of this category that gives you an advantage is the color of your skin. It has nothing to do with the oppression that an individual experienced in their life. Uh, because, of course, there's, as we've talked about, many dimensions upon which one can experience that. And, yeah, we're just instituting the public collectively, whether it's just a handful of people on Twitter, are collectively demanding racist <laughs> policies within their corporations. And that's, that is what we will get uh, as long as people want it. And I think it, I think it sucks. And I've talked about it at length. And the historical, you know, I'm going to not talk about that today. I just think it's lame that they're doing that. Anything else? Well, I was just going to say in the context of pay, I think often if pay is fair or unfair, it is often comes down to what is the denominator in your equation, mm-hmm. you know? And so for this one, we're talking about it. It's not just about the pay. It's about the pay-per-views or whatever. I think of when people talk about how LeBron makes so much money and his <laughs> WNBA equivalent does not, yeah. or people say how LeBron makes so much money and teachers do not. It's like, well, what? Yes. If you look at the absolute money, that's true. But if you look at dollars generated compared to his WNBA co-star, he's actually underpaid. Yeah. Like he generates far more money for the NBA than he receives in terms of fractional amounts mm-hmm. versus a WNBA star with the WNBA. And in terms of teachers, if you looked at the number of people who he impacts, it's much larger. And so yeah. yes, per impact, a teacher is way more impactful than LeBron. Mm-hmm. But LeBron just happens to have a billion plus people all contributing a small amount of money to the NBA because of him. Yeah. And a teacher impacts five to 30 people. And so what can look unfair or sound unfair when it's framed a certain way, if you reframe the denominator, then suddenly the pay makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. It's, this is one of the things that I, as you step back and look like, why, why is there wealth inequality? There's lots of reasons. One of the reasons is that some people, via technology, the television, the internet, et cetera, are capable of impacting and providing value Orders of magnitude mm-hmm. higher than most people. And LeBron James is a good example that you might not think basketball is as important, but everyone else does collectively. They think it's important enough to dedicate such, some part of their time per year to it, which is worth 0.001 multiplied by the amount of people equals roughly his paycheck and brand endorsements. Yeah, it's, and just crypto. Rough com. it's just rough yeah, math like, based on the amount of people watching the NBA and the amount of time that they watch it. Yes. And so you have a world where if people were being paid purely on how much the market and other people want to pay them, you will wind up with tremendous income inequality. Now, you might not want to do that. You might want to, to set a cap on, like, even though you're impacting all of these people, we just have collectively decided that no one deserves a billion or two billion or ten billion dollars, and we're going to limit that. But yeah, there is a... Uh, it is being earned in the strictest sense of people are voting to do it, not with every single billionaire, but with a lot of them. <laughs> they're, they're saying, no, we want you to keep playing basketball, to keep selling Sprite, to keep selling Crypto.com because it makes me make different decisions. Yeah, the, the, and I actually think there's an argument you could made. If you looked at total NBA <laughs> revenue and compared it to total public school teacher pay and you found that, you know— every public school teacher combined is still making less than the NBA players. Maybe the government should put more funding towards that as a whole. And each teacher is not going to make anywhere near LeBron, but as a whole, they would, they would rise up. The one I find the least compelling is time put in. 
So mm-hmm. you often see that argument of like, I practice just as hard as LeBron. I put just as many hours on the court. I sweat just as much. Th- these are not the metrics by which we pay anybody because or- there's somebody in a gym for fun mm-hmm. putting in just as much time, sweating just as much, and then paying yeah. to play in their shitty local league because they're not generating any revenue. Yeah. And I think that the it is interesting to see how different people argue because ultimately most people argue for their own self-interest. It's interesting to see how they frame why they are deserving of more. Yeah. And I think that's, to me, that's if you're ever in these discussions, the thing to look at. It's like sweat equity is not a good metric of how much someone should be compensated well, for playing a sport. It's certainly not how much the person arguing for it wants to pay the people around them in their lives. You know what I mean? So if somebody, uh, if you go get your car washed and somebody works on it for eight hours and you get back a dirty car, you're, you're disinterested in the amount of time. Yeah, it's not a philosophy that you want to <laughs> that apply you, exactly, when you're paying. Exactly. What people want to pay for results, but when it suits them, they employ the argument of, and, and I have sympathy for this, but like single mom who's working three jobs and is doing all this and still can't get ahead. And I'm, I actually think that there ought to be, even if she's not providing enough value for society, I do think there's something like UBI or a floor I want, to be mm-hmm. clear. But the argument that work ought to do it is not one that the, the, what you're saying, that the amount of time that someone does is determinant or mathematically reflective of what they ought to receive mm-hmm. is certainly not how people live their lives and pay the people around them. Yeah, I haven't done a ton of research into the academic PhD philosophies on this, but my personal instinct of what would be nice is UBI type of floor where everybody can get food, housing, some sort of healthcare. None of that's guaranteed to be, you know, a mansion or Michelin star rated food, but healthy food and a place to sleep. And also you have a society where if you do contribute disproportionately to other people's lives, you found a company that changes the world positively, you can earn a ton and that can be capped at the top, but still, you know, there's going to be wealth inequality if I were designing the system, but you'd have a floor and potentially you'd have some sort of ceiling or maybe diminishing returns in terms of how rich you could get. The question I have about UBI is what do you do if you do that and then people don't spend the money well? Because I think we have a very consumer, we have a consumer problem in the US, I think, where people, even with limited funds, will spend on things that it's not necessarily where you wish they would spend. I think we have a very status-focused society and a lot of people care about the brands that they're wearing and things like that. And so I wonder if you did make UBI and there is somebody who's raising kids or whatever, but they don't spend the money in the way that you would hope and now they are still not necessarily covering all the needs that you wish that they would, do you give them mm-hmm. more money? Well, do that- you penalize them? I, I don't know how that works. And so, like I said, I actually like the idea of UBI, but I do wonder how one executes that. So I, I was had a separate thought from what you were saying, but I think it ties in. Let's see if I can do this. Stepping back, you can imagine a world where, I don't know if this is the current world we live in, where if we did put a floor in and we did say, okay, but after that floor, everything else is going to be based on how much value you provide, where people's proclivities and talents are such that it only took 10 to 20% of the population to make all the shit that everyone else wanted mm-hmm. via the help of technology. And even if that other 80% wanted to contribute, their contribution is relatively meaningless. You could imagine, I'm not saying this is the case, that it was like, you're not going to make any money, so don't even waste your time. So you could have a universe where 10 to 20% were 
making a crap ton and it was providing a floor for everybody else. And there was effectively like a lip or a lid where these people couldn't, couldn't provide enough value to make enough of a difference such that they just didn't want to work. Well, this is my friend's view of the future is that we'll have VR. Mm -hmm. Most people will just plug into VR and just an IV for nutrients, go live a pleasure life. That's just awesome. And then some very small fraction of the world will focus on scientific invention and pushing society forward. And mm. yeah, kind of, the, the, it's like most people will ride on a train and a very small amount of people will drive the train, make the train, like fuel <laughs> yeah, the train yeah, yeah. Lay down the tracks. and make sure that yeah. the, anything gets broken, gets fixed and come up with new technology so the train can go faster. Yeah. While most of the population is hanging out. And so, I don't know that that's good or bad. That's just his prediction for the future. Well, so, and in tying this back to what you were saying about status conscious, so now just pretend that this is how things shake out. That 20% is still going to make commercials for the 80% because they represent 80% of the population mm -hmm. to get them to hand them and not somebody else in the 20% a portion of their UBI. So you've got 20% of the population with all the money potentially running advertisements to convince 80% to buy their useless shit. <laughs> and, yeah, and I think you know, we saw this when, when the Trump bucks came out. I think it's, it's the average person's savings and financial situation. It's not necessarily good in the U.S. And you would wish that people had less financial stress and more just access to food and all that. But when they got checks from the government, Samsung started running TV ads for a TV that cost that exact same amount. <laughs> and I think the reason they did that is because they know through advertising, they can convince people to take that free money and buy a TV with it and stay in the same amount of financial stress rather than take that money to pay off credit card debt or buy, you know, canned food or whatever yeah. so that they had more food. Like people don't, they didn't use that money necessarily to alleviate that financial stress that it was there for. Some of them might not have. And I don't, I don't know the percentages. Yeah, I just assume that most companies are profit-seeking monsters. Let's, let's, and so when Samsung runs that ad, I think it's because it, it works. works. Sure. And and this isn't to say that we should or shouldn't have done it, but yes, to your, I guess what I'm saying well, that's is- not a, That's not a negative or a positive about sending out the Trump bucks. I'm just saying that UBI would be similar in that even if everyone got UBI, advertisers would be trying to convince people that they should spend that UBI on watches and clothing and, and the, cars and things like that. And it wouldn't necessarily go to- making sure that instead of eating shitty food that's bad for you, we ate lots of yeah, breaking out of breaking out of that cycle of, of dependency. It would go towards uh, self-expression through brand consumption. Well, I don't know, but that's my, that would be my concern if I were the person in charge. If the government was like, we're going to do UBI, everyone's going to get this amount, make sure it works. My first concern is how do I make sure that this solves the problem we want, which is mm -hmm. raising everybody's floor in terms of housing, food, education, and mm -hmm. not towards what, what I, just, I would say is like more useless consumerism. Yeah. Well, what, I guess what I'm, and I think we're both highlighting, but I want to state clearly is that it's not a moral deficiency necessarily of the person who is spending their money in a poor way. There is an entire system run by wealthier people and, you know, collectively run trying to get them to make poor financial decisions. Mm -hmm. And there is almost no effort into trying to get them to make good financial decisions that will break that cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's just, so it's like, why do we have this under, like in this potential universe, this underclass? It's because everybody is is contributing to it. The rich are contributing with their advertising and, and their uh, sustaining of this cycle and the people making the decisions ultimately to, to what to buy are, would be 
responsible for their decision making. Uh, and no, there's no free will anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know that that is the actual universe. It's totally possible that if uh, everybody was allowed to contribute, we'd have a bunch of smaller artists and people would, would break into niches and it wouldn't be this 80 20 split. So, that, that might not be the case. But it reminded me, and the reason I went that direction is because I watched some guy talking about crypto. And he was talking about how this NFT craze is just a, it's status. You know, you know right now, what, what crypto allows you to do effectively is like buy drugs and illegal things and have status markers on the internet of art that you were not interested in until somebody else told you that this was the piece of art that made you a cool guy. Oh, I, told, I actually disagree. Oh, yeah? I don't think it's about stats. I think it's about trying to get rich without and, doing sorry, anything. And speculative. Speculative. Yeah. And, and the speculation. I think that's the number one thing is people, and I'm, I would love to get rich without doing anything as well. Be great. Uh, I think people want to do that. And I think they see NFTs as a way that they can, like we just talked about how the best way to get wealthy is to do something really valuable. That's hard. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to do that. So they buy pictures of monkeys instead and hope that that cartoon can sorry, yes. get it, them wealthy. You, you're, you're stating it correct. That's why people are buying it. But if there is a long-term argument for the value of this Board 8 Yacht Club, it's the status that it would confer to someone one day in the future. If you're saying that it's not a bubble, that it's not just pure speculative greed. Yeah, and I just think everyone's be, buying for greed. Well, the argument in the future is of, no, this is going to be your avatar. This is, you know, and when people see Board 8 Yacht Club, they're going to go real, recognize real, and they're going to have some sort of reaction in a way that is limited uh, I was just, you know, he was making this argument. I was reminded of a friend we had years ago with the Kanye's. <laughs> when we, he was waiting in line for Kanye's, you know, hours in advance and asked me to, we were in a foreign country to like translate for him on the phone so that he could go and show up. I was like, why, why are you buying these shoes? And he tells me, dude, when you're walking down the street and you see someone in these real recognize real. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> this is it. This is, this is what we're buying for. Mm-hmm. This is, this is what does it. Yeah, and the idea that, a really effective way to express who you are is by buying somebody else's product at a huge markup for the cost of goods. Yep. Is perhaps advertising's biggest trick? No, I guess advertising's biggest trick is that external consumption can provide internal relief and happiness. But the second biggest trip is that the best way or one of the best ways to express yourself is by buying stuff that is branded. Uh, and not through like dancing in your yard without an Instagram thing on mm-hmm. <laughs> or singing alone in the shower. That these these non, uh, non-witnessed, non-reacted to forms of self-expression are worth zero. And the self-expression that is only useful insofar as other people see it is yeah, the true to, form of self-expression. It, it's funny to call it self-expression if you didn't make the clothes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like I'm expressing myself. Well, yes, yeah. this, this thing that someone else made for me that I chose to wait for and stand in line and purchase. And, and I mean, there is there is work and effort that's going into it for sure. But yeah, that's just a thing that happens. He was he was making an argument that this is worse with crypto. And I, I was like, I don't think it is. I think that it's been crappy this way for a long time where people. That, that that's what they think of when they think of self-expression is what what purchases have I made mm-hmm. recently? Uh, and even when it comes to musical self-expression, it's 
it's not related to how music makes you feel. It's related to the group that music puts you into and having the markers of that group so that people know you're not like the other guys or girls or, you know, or that you're exactly like the other guys or girls, depending on which way you swing. Yeah, yeah. So that was fun and interesting just to connect. Anything else you've got? I'm looking through my stuff. Nothing really. I mean, I I, I did not uh, see a lot. The Ben Simmons, James Harden trade took up a lot of my news consumption. Week, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't really have much to say on it unless you're a deep 76ers basketball fan, which I am. Which I am. Which I am. Uh, I We've talked about that offline. If people really care, we don't have anything fascinating to add. Here's one thing no. that it, I've written. There is a, one thing I notice in the Ben Simmons thing that might be interesting is the different standard that people hold celebrities to. Because I, I mean, Ben Simmons, I'm a 76ers fan, kind of screwed the team. For people that don't know, he just sat out, said, I don't want to play here anymore. And people hated on him for that. But at the same time, we often talk about on the podcast, the point of money is to live the life you want. And so this is a guy who had already made millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And he didn't want to play in the city of Philadelphia anymore. He didn't want to live there anymore. So he just said, I'm not gonna, which is a personal decision that I kind of respect i don't like the way he went about it and i wish he had done it in a way that didn't hurt his team and his teammates Mm -hmm. but it is interesting how viscerally people hated him for that who would also do that if they were in his situation i think you know and and often probably do that in their own work and they're like how could he do this to his teammates (laughs) you're the same guy that slacks on projects leaves early makes your coworkers do more work because you don't want to do work talking about how this guy shouldn't do that to his teammates. Mm -hmm. And you might be right about your critique of Ben. It's just that you don't apply it to yourself. And that's, I thought that was really interesting is that a lot of the criticisms are just, it's like so easily flipped onto yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. people were talking about James Harden didn't want to play for the Brooklyn Nets. So he got a little bit out of shape. Is every person that's pitching about this giving 110% at their work while being in great physical fitness, like well, it's not it's not a one to one because they're not trying to get traded to another company by underperforming what they could do at their current company. Like I, there there are some analogous differences, I would say in that in that one. Well, I would say most everybody would leave their company if they got offered more money for a different company. Oh, sure, sure. And they're furious when an athlete doesn't have loyalty to their team. Mm-hmm. these athletes weren't born in the city. Like I get it's the Philadelphia 76ers, mm-hmm. but none of these guys are from Philadelphia. Yeah. They have no loyalty to Philadelphia. You'd like for them to th- think of themselves as warriors, loyal to the city who would give 110% to try to win you, the fans, a championship and themselves a championship. But I just think it's interesting because what percentage of people are that loyal to their own company, mm-hmm. but they just demand it of these people or, or yeah, they want it. That, I mean, you see the same criticism of celebrities. Why, do, why does this celebrity always make these shitty movies? They offer him a lot of money to do it. <laughs> yeah. Why do you do your job? Why do you show up like, at your job? Why does this guy keep making these <laughs> shitty rom-coms? You mean Adam Sandler? <laughs> uh, he's made $100 million doing it. And I, I just think that's interesting. The, the lens with which we view celebrity and how they should behave and then just not at all holding ourselves to the standard that we request of them. Yeah. The other, yeah, you mentioned it, but... The thing that always gets me with sports is how effective they've been at convincing millions of people that a team with a 
ever rotating cast of players that did not that were not born in the city that play in you know mostly different locations and where logos that are ever transforming somehow represent them like now James Harden represents us like mm-hmm. flips a switch now he's now he's ours and we love him it's it's the fact that they've been able to create these these skins these teams that they can wrap anything inside and get people to root for want show yeah. up for is and I love it by the way this incredible. is incredible this it's is incredible a- it's a observation and analysis, but not necessarily a criticism yeah. that one shouldn't be a fan. But yeah, the fact that I love Joel Embiid because he's a Philadelphia 76er, wasn't born in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. Got drafted there. <laughs> he's remarkably loyal, like more yeah. so than I think most people, which I appreciate. But Dude, more than you are. Yeah, I you left. left right away. That's what I'm saying. When people, this is actually my, uh, another one that made me think this was when LeBron left Cleveland to go to Miami. I thought that he shouldn't have done a public... TV announcement for it. Or if he did, he should have said, Hey, I'm not coming back to Cleveland. I'm going to announce what team I'm going to on the thing. He could have done it better, Mm -hmm. but the outrage that he would leave Cleveland to go to Miami. I think at the time I was living in Brazil. I was like, (laughs) how could I possibly get mad at this guy? I decided I didn't want to be in the country. And this guy said, listen, I was born in Cleveland, but be nice to have a beach. (laughs) Well, warm weather's pretty cool. I don't want to pay taxes. By the way, one of my best friends plays on this team. Could be fun. And everyone demonized him. And I could see myself making that decision, hopefully with a better PR rapper, but <laughs> yeah, it made a lot of sense to me. Not on, not on, not via the decision. That, yeah. that was a terrible idea. The, yes, the actual, but honestly, I think he could have done the decision and just said it the day before, I'm not coming to Cleveland. I love Cleveland. Yeah. I want to make that clear before the decision and then just get on there and say, yeah, there's no advantage. You should have just, should have just, no press conference, no, no special TV event. No, yeah, he, just go. He had never gotten to declare what college he was going to. Yeah. So I think this was his moment to, for the first time, he got to pick his squad. Mm-hmm. And I think this was his version of being a, a top star recruit that got to pick his destination. Yeah. So I understand why it happened. Also funny because it raised money for charity, but everyone hated him for it. <laughs> <laughs> like the, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. He donated all the money that the decision made to the Boys and Girls Club. Okay. So that makes a little and bit of sense. And everyone was like, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> like, Sorry. Sorry. I helped all these kids and then made a decision about my own life. And went to Miami. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Going back to the first and this is the last thing that I have is I have just been the whole Neil Young and everybody. I'm blown away. I didn't think it would happen this way. When I thought, you know, big tech is going to come in and they're going to censor us. They're going to, it's going to be heavy handed. Like they're going to put boots on our neck and it's good. Yeah. Surely we won't welcome. Surely we won't arms. beg for it. Yeah. <laughs> surely we please, won't say, please censor us. Govern me harder. <laughs> uh, no, just wild, just wild that, you would want Spotify, Facebook, anybody to decide 
yeah. what is true well, and and that you would want that to be an independent body because the first decision you want them to make coincides with your belief yeah, of what I, is right. So, so you're willing to lose every future modicum of control over this in order to it, it, it I'm blown away that they want that as a precedent of a thing that these these corporations ought to be doing. I'm working on a John Stewart video right now, so I'll give a little bit of it away. They, the interesting thing is that right now, mostly, I'd say left-leaning people in the U.S., they want censorship from big tech because the people like Trump and Joe Rogan are spreading quote-unquote misinformation that they don't like. And John Stewart, who is very left-leaning, has come out and say, hey, this is extremely dangerous. When we were going into Iraq, I was very skeptical of the WMD argument because I was speaking to nuclear physicists and things like that who said the evidence wasn't great. And I got labeled as misinformation by the mainstream media and the big tech companies who were all marching down the fairway of we should invade because they have WMDs. That's what the president is saying. Yeah. And I ended up being right. And that's not to say that Joe Rogan is right. That's not to say that anything about COVID. It's to say when you let other people label what is and isn't allowed to be discussed and shared and thought about, you end up in Iraq. And so right now mm -hmm. you think it's great because the censorship works in your favor, but it's not always going to. Mm -hmm. And you're giving permission for all of it to happen. And so he's actually, funny enough, even though he's left-leaning, very adamantly against all the censorship stuff because he remembers vividly when it was him being censored and shut up. And he thinks that a lot of the Iraq war and all the costs of lives and money came from when the big guy was spreading the misinformation. Yeah. And so he's saying at some point, the big guy will have the wrong information and they will censor everyone who disagrees with them. Yeah. And it will be very damaging. Well, one, the reason that I, re I recommended you do Don Stewart is because he's think very effective at arguing those those points it's because he's got credibility with that side of the aisle mm -hmm. but also because whereas i might go abstract with it and talk about what is truth what is free how, and how does free speech help us arrive there do we ever know truth does the consensus ever guarantee truth he takes a very concrete example one that he knows his audience agrees with mm -hmm. and illustrates how their principles would get them the opposite of what they want in a very specific and concrete way. And yeah. I think that's hopefully what you discuss in the breakdown is like, this is much more effective than speaking philosophically about no, yeah, what he does, free speech. which is in the video is he's, he finds an analogy that he knows you'll agree with mm -hmm. to then discuss where you guys disagree. Mm -hmm. So if you disagree on this censorship thing, he goes, okay, I, I know this person didn't like the Iraq war because yeah. I know I'm talking to a liberal yeah, because yeah, I yeah, know yeah. that they hate Joe Rogan yeah. right now. I know you hate Joe Rogan. So I know you hate I Joe Rogan. You hate because I know you hate Joe Rogan. I know you hate <laughs> the Iraq war. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with the Iraq war. They labeled me misinformation. The big guy got to decide what was real. It yeah. led to Iraq. We all agree that's bad. That's exactly this. That's yeah. exactly this. And if you allow this, you allow more of that. Mm -hmm. And I won't give away the whole video, but he does that repeatedly. It's a, yeah. it's a tactic he uses. So Yep. Cool. Let's do some questions. And also, if this is short, I know that there was, a, there was at least one one Patreon that we had discussed. You're like, oh, let's talk about it on the podcast. But I can't remember what it was. Do you remember? From last week? We were sitting, I think, outside. And you're like, dude, let's talk about that one on the podcast. Mm. Do you remember that conversation that we had? I've lost the ability to retain information okay. that I don't write down in my phone. Okay. So yeah. I have no idea what you're talking well, about. Well, if, if and when it comes up, we can throw it back in.
Okay, first question is, hey, Charlie and Ben, I wanted to ask how to approach a situation with a potential partner I have. We've known each other for a few years now and I care about them deeply. We've talked online for a while and plan to meet in real life to see if we'd be a compatible match. Over the past year, I've learned more about their views on politics and philosophy, which is my field of study, and find them to be more on the right than me. They seem to have a negative view of both the world and philosophy as a field of study as well. I have never felt such love for someone before and want us more than anything to work out um, this kink between us. How should I approach this relationship and is it possible to have a relationship where you differ on how you view the world? So, if I'm understanding correctly, these people have not met in person. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So that was my biggest... Yeah, this is my biggest thing. I, I know that people corresponded via letter and got betrothed back in the day. I'd be very hesitant, and I know that you feel this way, and I can't unfeel you this, but just to add a degree of skepticism of your own sense of love at this point. And I say that because I think there's a more apt word, one which I've experienced, which is obsession. Mm -hmm. And I say that because I think that love requires a seeing of the other person. I don't mean a literal, like it helps to have eyes on them, but like a knowing and a seeing and a uh, connection with who they are. And the fact that you're finding out fairly basic facts about this person, such as their politics and that they don't really love your passionate field of study indicates to me that you do not have clear sight of this person. So I would reframe I, and I truly think it would be helpful. You could still see them to be like, I've never been so obsessed with someone before. Yeah. And I would actually say that the amount you, I would just weigh dial down if you can. Obviously, it's very hard to control emotions. Mm -hmm. The amount that you think you know the person. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to dial down even how much you think you like them, but just the, the certainty with which you have that feeling or the certainty that you know this person well, yeah. I would dial that way down because who someone is who they present themselves as on the first date, who they present themselves as and via the you, internet. And who you imagine them, all the projections that you have. Yeah, these are extremely different. And I would say, you will find this hard to believe, I don't think you know this person very well. Mm -hmm. And who they are and who you imagine they are could be extremely different. Mm -hmm. And so I would, this isn't to say don't meet up with them. It, I'm just would dial way back your... Uh, eagerness to commit to something with them given that in my mind you do not yet know them mm -hmm. and by the way this is all this can also be true of relationships where people do see each other and do like you mm -hmm. cannot know someone that you spend time with uh, that that's totally a thing if you're not being honest and intimate and and communicative so it's not just to poo poo online connection or online dating no i'm guilty of this as well i don't think people i don't think you really know someone even in the early months of dating if you're in person with them mm -hmm. yes and and People find out they don't know their husbands and wives' ears. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, holy crap. So, yeah. You have I, a double life. You're, you're, the online nature of your relationship makes me pause far more than your political differences. Yes. If you said, I've been dating this person for five years, where we are, we've, uh, everything's great, blah, blah, blah. I have developed a recent interest in philosophy. They think yeah, philosophical yeah. discussion is stupid because of how up in the air it is. They're much more a fan of the hard, uh, STEM sciences, I go, you know, I don't really don't think it's going to be a big yeah. issue for you guys. They can read STEM while you read philosophy and sure. you'll find friends to discuss Aristotle. It's, it's not the lack of interest in philosophy. I also think left-leaning people and right-leaning people can date. The number one thing that gives me pause about this story is the intensity with which you have emotion towards this person and the having never met up in person. 
So that said, I think a, a good reframe is you're a, can I explore a relationship with someone who has different political backgrounds with me when I really don't know them that, that well? And I know that might upset you to have, hear me say that, but of course, <laughs> of course you can. Like mm-hmm. this is a person that uh, you have some initial strong chemistry in some ways with, and you found out that you don't agree on some things. Can you date them, meet up? Yeah. But I, again, they should be like dates. Yeah. They casual be, dates. I would say like, don't even jump into boyfriend, they, girlfriend. They should be explorations. They should be hangouts. They should be, uh, let's get to know each other. Yes. Yes. And I think hundred percent you should, you should do that. You, you shouldn't. Yeah. That'd be great. I think that is definitely what I recommend. Go on some dates with this person. Who you do not know. <laughs> Next one is a question for Ben. So I've been rewatching episodes of your podcast from the beginning because there are some really golden thoughts to memorize there. It seems like you've changed a lot throughout these three years. Now you look more calm and less judgmental. Is it connected to your meditation or Buddhism? And do you apply any everyday practices to stay this way? Also, do you feel like you forgive yourself more? Interesting. I guess I was angrier three years ago. Do you think... I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what they are seeing and if it's something that I would see in the podcast or if it's something that I'm going to guess a combination of two things. I know it's not because of my daily meditation practice because it doesn't (laughs) exist. I would say it is a combination, two parts, probably equal parts, many psychedelic therapy sessions, which have given me empathy for other people and empathy for myself such that I'm more, we just talked about Ben Simmons. I'm more likely to see myself in him and be gentler with him than I would have been. Mm. And uh, more of a recognition that people actually watch this. <laughs> so I've had, you know, friends or people reach out and say, hey, I saw you say this thing on the podcast. And so now I try to speak, assuming that more people will see this. Whereas back in the day, I was like, ah, hot take, whatever. No one watches this small podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go off the cuff. And it doesn't matter if I'm wrong or if I'm too heavy handed or if I'm reactionary because it's just for fun. It's just me and Charlie talking. And now I go, okay, let's try to be a little bit more measured and say something that we're not ashamed of in a day (laughs) when we're not heated or whatever this, whatever it may be. Well, that's true. There's two different, at least two different types of communication. One is when you are trying to accurately represent your beliefs in a way that you will agree with six months from now. And that's what we've tried to do, I think, more recently in the podcast. And the other is you're talking to a friend and you're just trying to like trade energy with them. You're like, yo, you see that shit? It's fucking yeah, yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. just that's just playing catch. Uh, it's not an accurate representation of your deepest beliefs. <clears throat> that's just energy. Yeah, you just fire off on you see something news. This person's a scumbag. This is yeah. so stupid. That's just blah, catch. Blah, blah. And it's like you haven't you haven't reflected on how this person is like yeah, yeah. you or uh, what they might be going through or the- And you won't agree with it in four to six months, but it's, it's literally just for the fun of that interaction is why you're- And you know who you're talking to yeah. shares a lot of your frameworks. And so they, they know where you're coming from in a lot of ways. So yeah, I think a lot of it's being more measured to hopefully messaging things in a way where people who don't know anything about me and don't have the same assumptions about the world that I do will understand what I'm trying to communicate. And also I think psychedelics. Yeah. Question- for both of you, especially Charlie. I have gathered that you believe a lot of ways that human achieve happiness is kind of a shortcut and doesn't bring lasting happiness. Uh, maybe it's the goal of more, such as more money, more followers, etc. I also see a similar parallel on your views about having a long-term relationship, marriage, or family. This is kind of a happiness shortcut that people do because it's supposed to make you happy, but if you think about the logistics of the whole thing, there's a good chance it won't do that. 
So my question is, sometimes it feels a bit depressing hearing you talk about not really having goals because they can't make <laughs> you happy. Do you think you're better off and happier for realizing this? Or do you think if you could just still indulge in that goal of trying to achieve X followers and chase that high for a while, you might actually be happier, although more naive? I miss, I miss that. I miss believing. Felt like Friday night with infinite possibility of the weekend. You're like, anything could happen. And inevitably what happened that weekend was like, <laughs> it was just a weekend. Yeah, I definitely miss Brazil and believing with all my heart and soul that if I could talk to that girl or learn that language and play that guitar that way, that things would be different. That was a really thrilling, fun experience. Uh, and it's impossible for me to go back. People well, have been can't. like, why don't you just do that again? I'm like, I can't. I can't unsee what I have seen. Well, we, I mean, this is, uh, if you never achieve your goal or your dream, you can continue to maintain it. It's yes. only in the achievement of your dream. If you're like, if I just, <laughs> you know, slept with more people, or if I just made more money, once you run down that road enough and you've slept with a bunch of people or you've made a, a bunch of money, that's when you go, hmm, <laughs> this hasn't materially changed things in the way that I was expecting. Yeah. So that's when the question comes, is this the right goal or the right path? And but if you never yeah. achieved it, you could keep that hunger forever. Ed, that would be t- bad though, because it wasn't the not achieving it. It was like hitting the inflection point and being like, oh my God, here we go. Like the business is working or we're like that. That was the excitement. It's not just frustrated attempts at your goal that make you happy. I don't, I don't think that is the case. You know, if I was 40 years old and hadn't, hadn't gotten to the million subscribers, I'd be not happy about that. It was, it was feeling like I was turning the corner and like 500 subs a day, 700 subs a day, 1,000 subs a day. It's that accelerating mo- like motion towards mm-hmm. what you think is utopia. Um, but all that said, I'm definitely calmer. I, along with that, there comes an anxiety, I think, that I didn't know that I had necessarily at that time, which was... I discovered when we arrived in Santa Monica, I arrived here on a Friday. I didn't know anybody in town and I didn't go out on Friday night and I was stressed. Like I could feel my body. uh, I was, I was so stressed. I thought I was going to be miserable staying inside on a Friday night because I hadn't done it in so many years and I didn't have friends in town to go out with. Um, So there was, there was an anxiety that grew along with that thrill. And I think I think part of what makes things thrilling is a degree of anxiety and of not having and not knowing if you're going to get something. So I feel calmer, chiller. I still have goals. Like, for instance, I still really want my D&D thing to work. And I still can fall into the belief that if it works, things will be better, which is fun. And I allow myself to fall into that because otherwise, what the heck am I going to do with my life? Um, well, you haven't shoot at all. That's the difference. Like the, and I'm not saying you should, the, the conclusion to your beliefs. And we've said this is to go try to live in a mountain and achieve enlightenment, but you do not wish to do that. And so you find yourself not thinking that more wealth is a goal worth highly prioritizing, not prioritizing your sleeping with more people or making new friends, you know, like all those goals you had in your twenties are gone. We also don't want to take that more radical step of I'm going to shave my head and move to Tibet. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where you're, where you are. Well, yeah, there's a logical recognition of external achievement is, is not 
making me happier. But then there's an emotional fear of I can't give up my stuff. I can't give up my success. I can't give up my my income or my so I, I'm my logical brain and my emotional brain are not on the same page, even though my emotional brain has genuinely or or deeply let go of some of the things that it used to grab onto, like subscribers. I really don't care these days. Um, That's good news because uh, things have slowed down. Wouldn't know. I'm not checking, you know. So I just want D&D to work. That's all. I really just want D&D to work. If that thing, worked, the imagine, everything would be different. I want to tell stories. And and yeah, I think I, I, I really, in, I do enjoy going from zero to one. And I, and I suspect there will be, probably be something in my life that I can take from zero to one where I've loosened is on going from like one to a thousand. So just not having a and d show and then having a and d show. Well, a good D&D show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One that I feel proud of. Yeah, because we have one. Yeah. Just it's work. not on the YouTube. It's a work yeah. in progress. It's got some problems. It's got some So yeah, it's, anyways, we're working on it. That's what I think. Next is, you guys were talking about Logan Paul a few podcasts ago. What do you think is wrong with the way Logan Paul is living? You said he got sucked back into his old life after supposedly starting to do introspective work. What do you believe is wrong with pursuing success the way Logan does, and what do you see as the better alternative? So I was under the impression from him and his friends that he was drinking so much that his friend Mike Malak, who was a drug addict, tried to have an intervention with him live on air explaining that he looked like the alcoholics that he'd known. He also came out, Logan came out and said, I was addicted to weed. I was smoking so much weed that I couldn't function without it. I would get sick without it. And I didn't realize how addicted I was until I recently gave it up. And my, you know, I'm so much more clear headed now. And Mm -hmm. so, so from his mouth, there was a weed addiction and a massive consumption of weed. And from Mike's mouth, there was a massive consumption of alcohol on Logan's part. So I don't think you, while, while one can fall into an addiction when you've got alcohol going and weed going and all of these crypto scams, dink doink to like all of these half-baked projects in order to make more money and moving to Puerto Rico, which I can understand to, to keep as much of the Floyd Mayweather money. I see uh, someone who thinks they need a lot of, st- not stimulants, uh, chemicals and substances to make it through their day in a happy way, and also a shit ton of money on top of their shit ton of money in order to be happy, such that they're willing to sacrifice living near friends, family, whatever. Uh, And that makes me go, that's a set of priorities that is not going to pay off for you in terms of your satisfaction and happiness with life. I don't know if he's turned it around since I talked about it with the like admission that he was addicted to weed. I don't know if there's other stuff that's still going on behind the scenes or if he's kicked it. Yeah, that's, that's what I have seen was seeing in him and what's a better way to live uh russell brand you know who had it all and then gets a place in a little area with a wife and a kid honestly fewer youtube videos would probably be good for him because he doesn't need to do these there's a lot of ways i think it could be good to live boy on slot like Mm -hmm. if logan had been like i'm gonna try to do a project that i care about or if he had said i'm gonna make i'm gonna make a TV show that I care about or, you know, so I'm going to create art. I'm going to help the world. I'm going to, you know, some, something like at, turning the corner of my primary focus is no longer going to be about money, just money. Yeah. But I'm going to consider the, the means with which I make money mm-hmm. because I, I don't think it's bad to pursue money. I don't think it's necessarily evil to move to Puerto Rico. No, I think that it's, 
when you're selling things like, and this isn't just Logan, crypto or casino schemes or something that, that hurts your audience to enrich yourself, that's not a good sign. And it's not just crypto. It's dink doink. It's, it's these trying to scam his audience in order to make money. It was the fucking fake Pokemon one that had photoshopped images. CryptoZoo, which is just a garbage product. Uh, like that kind of stuff is indicative of someone whose top priority is to make money in the crypto gold rush and not to create something awesome. I think there's probably a lot of people out there who are creating awesome things right now from Web3 that we won't hear about for years, but we'll all like, enjoy, and use one day. He seems to be completely disinterested in, in that, unless he's got secret projects that I don't know of where he is doing that. I'd bet against, personally. And now, he ha- might he have turned the corner with this weed thing? Maybe. But yeah, that's my sense from what I was seeing him and his friends say on his podcast. Right? Yeah, I'm just thinking of like, what would the, because I think this person's sent, trying to ask, how do I pursue success in a way that is, that is good or whatever the If he, for instance, yeah, went to Africa and saw that there was a lot of people without water and cried and was, t- I mean, was touched by that. And so he got involved with charity water or some other thing. It just seems very self-serving to maximize the amount of dollars that he has which is not the thing that is going to make him happy uh in the long term that's that's what i see i I see i see projects filtered primarily for how much money they will make him and secondarily for their artistic or uh contribution to the world uh so yeah and then mike posner who was just on his podcast by the way i see the opposite see a guy who walked across America to see the country and invited people to come walk with him. And the stories that he tells uh, are touching from people who walked with him and told him about their life and they're not famous and they're no-name people and how deeply that affected him. Like I I see a guy in Mike Posner who uh, then he went to a shack for a month (laughs) and just lived in the woods. That, That is someone to me who is looking in the right direction or the direction that I, I think is the right one at least. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, the only thing I'd say is that I don't even think everybody has to live that way either. No, Like no. you can just, I, I was thinking, who's like the middle ground? I was thinking Chris Hemsworth goes, makes a movie. Yeah, yeah. Comes back, hangs out with his wife and kids, surfs, hangs out with his brother, donates a little bit to charity, but hasn't dedicated his life to it. Isn't like, very active himself on social media. That's a great sign. Yeah. You know, and like, so, and so I think there it's, this isn't to say that everyone has to walk across America, start a nonprofit. You, you know, I think if you're saying how can I pursue more traditional success in a different way? I think that, that, that sort of balanced pursuit to me, I go, I, don't, I have no problem with this. Like go make a Thor movie, come back, kick it with my wife and kids, surf, donate to charity, hang out with my brother, repeat the cycle. Yeah. yeah that's what, that's, Solid. Seems Great. like Chris Hemsworth has enough. You know what I mean? And and that is a really solid place to be when you've got millions of dollars and are Chris Hemsworth. Because if you don't have enough at that point, there's nothing else in the external world that is going to offer it to you. I don't get the sense that you guys are American football fans, but I was wondering if you had any thoughts on Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL. Ah. Do you know what that is? I do. Okay. But I no, go ahead. Cause, go ahead. Okay. Uh, for context, he's alleging racism in their hiring practices. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I don't know. I'm not in the room. 
I saw Brian Flores say... It's about coaches, right? He's a coach. He's a black coach. He said that I did interviews with the Denver Broncos. John Elway showed up drunk. They didn't take me seriously. They were late to the meeting. John Elway said, that's not true. I treated your uh, candidacy with as much seriousness as... I always show up drunk. Yeah, as any <laughs> other candidate. He didn't say if he was... I literally am like, an alcoholic, my guy. Uh, he's just, <laughs> of basically, course he's like, drunk. yeah, John Elway showed up late. But... I don't know. I wasn't in the room. Here's what I would say. I think that football franchises are trying their hardest to win a Super Bowl. There is a lot of financial incentive to do so. I don't think any owner or GM is so racist that they would consciously say, or unconsciously. Well, no, let's start with consciously yeah. that they would consciously say that I'm going to win less because I don't want to have a black coach leading this team of mostly black athletes anyway. Which is to say, if there was a black coach that were even marginally better than his white counterpart, you would obviously give him the job. Yes. Because you own a football team and want to make money Now, the next games. argument is, well, what if it's subconscious? What if they think that, but really they have a bias such that they yeah. don't have faith that this person could win, even though he is the best candidate their assessment is wrong. So they're making the conscious decision, but their subconscious is off. And what I would argue is that that's probably not true of every single owner in GM. And so the one who wasn't racist would have the best coaching staff, the best head coach, the best offensive coach, the best defensive coach, because they would be willing to look at all of the candidates, including black coaches. With, and then, with as little bias as humanly possible. Yeah. And then they would be winning more. And then they would have the greatest, most... Uh, profitable franchise and then owners yeah, they, would probably they would have a larger pool to draw from because their biases weren't getting in the way of them picking the best candidate and then i think owners would fire their biased gms who weren't doing a good job yeah. and get in unbiased gms i think football is so focused on winning and in the same way we don't say why aren't there more white linebackers run back, running backs yeah. it doesn't make sense they're only 13 percent of the running backs should be black there's clearly an anti-white racism in the scouting department we go these people are trying to win there's a white running back that could get the job done the best possible they would draft him i think that exact same process is going on in coaching mm -hmm. and so that's my sense of it i think that people want to win and that's their leading guiding principle well said i think you covered the possible options to, you know i have an anecdote from someone i know and she is in charge of hiring for a company and a candidate wrote her and said, I didn't get this job. I have all the qualifications that you listed. I think it's racism. I think you didn't hire me because I'm black. And this person turned to me and said, we have a, like a mathematical quantitative assessment out of 10, this person scored a one and that's why they didn't get the job. And now they're alleging racism and I have to talk to my CEO about how to answer this in a way where we don't get sued. And I think it's, uh, it can be, there are racist hiring practices and there are times where it's racist. Can I tell you a racist hiring practice but, that I just saw real quick? Yeah, but also I think. In the NFL? But also I think that uh, sometimes people don't like hearing that they didn't get the job because they weren't qualified. And so they'll default to this. I think both are true. That there's companies that are racist that have racing hiring practices, but also that people don't get the job for reasons it's not race and their brain will go to it was race because they don't want to look at the fact maybe they got a one out of 10 on their quantitative assessment. Did you see the halftime show? 
Yeah, yeah. There's about 150 background dancers. Literally every single one. And maybe, I know I didn't, I didn't inspect their genealogy. It was black. What are the odds of that happening without a direct, in a country of 13%, you know what I mean? Like without a direct insistence that that be the case. And I think you could probably easily find correspondence that that was the case. Emails, et cetera, like saying, dude, you know, we're, we're hiring only black people for this. That's so obviously, and I'm not, if, and then if that's not the case and it happened on accident, I'm open to that. But if it was the reason and the explicit thing, I don't know why that's not being raised as a problem that, that, yeah. Like, and I, and I will say, I don't know enough of the details to know the Broncos specifically. So it's possible that no, someone they, in the Broncos John Elway might be a is raging racist. racist for all I know. Yeah. I think zooming out on all the teams in the NFL, it's unlikely mm-hmm. that if the, if there was a person that could win more games who was black, someone would pick them up. That's my, that's my guess. That's my hypothesis. And so maybe the Broncos are super racist, but it seems unlikely that every single team in the NFL would be ignoring the best candidates that give them the chance to win a Super Bowl. But but your point, which I will underscore, is I have no idea what happened in this particular situation. He might have been. Oh, I think the Broncos could be super racist. I just think someone else will pick him up if he's actually good hire, yeah. the best the best coaching prospect out there. Then some other team that's not the Broncos will go, thank God the Broncos didn't hire this guy. Yeah. I'm going to hire this guy yeah. because we need a head coach and he's the best one out there. Yeah. Nice. That's all I got. So cool. We're going to hop over to Patreon right now. We might have some questions that we pop into this podcast, but there's a lot of them. So it's going to be an even longer episode on Patreon. If you want to see what we're talking about, we've got a couple topics, Justin. Some of them are. We've got how to keep the conversations electric in long-term relationships, the texts you should send post first date, and nicely letting a mutual friend know that you're not interested romantically. Mm. All right. How many questions do we have today, Justin? A thousand. I, yeah, I didn't write them all down, but I have like 20, 23-ish. Nice. All right. All right. There's even more. So than we're going to rip for like yeah. an hour, hour and a half probably. All right. Let's do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.